Welcome to the first ever Femme on Film. I'm your host Ria and I forgot to introduce myself in the episode so here I am doing it now. I'm a feminist who loves film amongst other geeky things and I'm really excited to launch this new podcast talking about films for women, those who identify as women, films made by women, films starring women and to discuss how they've been treated by critics, how they go down in our patriarchal society and how often they have more meaning and relevance than they are given credit for. Right, I'm going to stop chatting and let's get on with the episode. I really hope you enjoy it. Um, <laughs> uh, so hello and welcome to Femme on Film. This is where a guest and I discuss films that are female-led, created by women, for women and have often been unfairly maligned or maybe just dismissed as frivolous. Often these films are misunderstood or even critically ravaged, but the main thing is that they're usually aimed at women. Often they're very feminist and way ahead of their time. Now, today I have one of my favourite podcasting people. I have the wonderful Tony Farina. Um, he's from Indie Comics Spotlight and Spotlight and Seasons Greetings, um, amongst many other things that he does. And he and I are going to talk about Josie and, Josie and the Pussycats, which is very exciting. Hey, hello, Tony. hello. Thank you. I'm so excited. I'm honoured to be your first guest. And I love <laughs> that we've, we've crossed over. We've, we've, made the, mm. we've made the crossover. This is the best way to start a show. You cross it over. <laughs> I did it. That's how I started. Is I it? crossed over. Yeah, yeah. My first show was I Kill Giants. And Chris and Dave had me on to cover the movie of I Kill Giants. Oh, and then that, we did the comic. See, so this is the way. This, you cross it over. I so like here it. We are. This is we just follow Chris and Dave's lead. Thank you for having. Me. They are our leaders. They are. Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah. I'm. I'm really, really excited to talk about this. So, um, I think just as soon as I pitched, so I pitched it to you and Jack first to get your ideas on it, um, and then spoke to the lovely Dave. And it was just your immediate enthusiasm about Josie, Josie and the Pussycats that was just like, this is why we need to talk about this. And then you brought the comics into my life, which as we discussed, I'd never read before. I, I knew about them, but wasn't properly aware of them until the film came out. Um, and so I loved that chat. And so I'm really, really looking forward to this because I know you have, much like me, many, many thoughts about this film. I do. <laughs> I've got hot takes. Uh, in, and it's, you know, it's discussions that I've had with you, with Jack Spider-Dan. I have to keep on shouting out for him, for his, you know, he is sort of, I guess, the inspiration behind this due to him and I having some chats about being on his show. And I was talking about Josie um, and how I think it's really unfairly treated, although, you know, that's changing, which is fantastic. Um, and I'm, you know, I'm very much that the belief of films like this they they have a specific female audience in mind and they're not given the credit they deserve or they thought of as lesser films because of the female audience and i just i just think that's bullshit and i think josie's the per perfect example of that happening um so it's not really about, you know, I, I don't envision us sitting here and reviewing the film, although we will talk about some of the performances, but it isn't about whether the film's good or bad. It's about whether a film's been given a fair chance. Um, I agree. Yeah, yeah, I think, I think, and I think part of that is, 
is you can look at it and say, because if you were going to talk about movies that we think are bad, then you're like, okay, well, was it bad? Is, was it maligned because it was bad, you know, or was it maligned because people have girl parts? And so that's an interesting <laughs> conversation too, because it can be, those two things don't have to go together. You could look at a movie and be like, that, like we were talking in Discord, you don't really care for Birds of Prey. So it has nothing to do with the girl parts. You just didn't care for the film. Like you, mm. it's not a good film regardless. Whereas other people will say that movie is crappy because there's girl parts. Exactly. Yeah. And it's it's sort of untangling that. And, you know, I think I keep on banging on about this, like most cinema audiences, most female audiences are women. And it's it's so crazy that when it comes to us as an audience, there's this massive debate about it. You know, it's it, and it just it just completely blows my mind. And I'm I'm hoping these conversations that we're having are going to go even further than than just that and talking about you know films that were made by women and they didn't do so well or maybe they're controversial so the filmmakers the actors everybody involved in it they basically get wiped off the world of filmmaking you know they they're not giving any future opportunities which doesn't happen to male female male male filmmakers or just male filmmakers (laughs) oh dear or you know or male stars male actors they get to carry on but it's always, it's not always, that's not true, but a lot of the time is because they are women, it wasn't successful. You know, like Birds of Prey, as far as I'm concerned, is a very messy film. And that's the reason it wasn't successful. But, you know, you get everybody going, oh, well, you know, this actress doesn't understand this role or what they should be doing, or like, that's not how the how it should have been represented and stuff like that. And although some of those arguments are valid, that's got nothing to do with their gender. Right. Right. You can just, you can be a woman and be a terrible actor. Yeah. That's okay. You're not a terrible actor because you're like, I can name a few in this film (laughs) who is a woman and a terrible actor. The two things not related. (laughs) Cause there's one female actor in this movie who, as we will discuss, is a star in everything (laughs) she's in. Like even when it takes, she, yeah. is, she has transcended it because she's so fucking talented and charismatic and you can't take your eyes. We're talking about Rosario Dawson. <laughs> you can't, she's so magical, right? That it doesn't, yes. like she's, but it's her her raw talent has has allowed her to be in some stink, air quote, stinkers. Yeah. Um, because everybody's like, well, it doesn't matter. We can't stop looking at her. Yeah, exactly. We can't exactly. take our eyes off her when she's on screen. She's she's better than everybody who's on screen. Yeah. Always. So my uh, my other half disagrees about, by the way, we're talking about Tara Reid as the uh, oh, yeah, as yeah. the not good actress. He, he, he disagrees. Good. He thinks he's like she 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 nailed what she was asked to do. He's like, she did it. He's like, hmm. she's funny. It's funny. Like the shower scene when she's um, yeah, doing the clapping, like thinks that's really funny. He was like, she's she got it. He was like, he disagrees. He disagrees with me. So I think she doesn't know what on earth she's doing there. But he thinks she does. He thinks like she's 100% got the memo and is fulfilling it. So very interesting perspective. It is. That's amazing. Yeah, I disagree. I think. Yeah, me too. (laughs) I don't think she knows what she's doing. I think she always thinks she's in a different movie than the one that she's in. And, uh, and, and, yep. I mean, I know that she's asked to play dumb in this film, but I don't. Um, Again, I think playing dumb is hard. I think, yes, I completely agree. I think that's a hard thing to do. And you can tell talented actors who can do it. 
And then you, so to me, it's irrelevant of, of the character of Melody being dumb. It's Tara Reid's bad. Yeah. I've never, never seen her, be, there's never been a movie that I've seen where I'm like, Tara Reid made that film better. Never said that once. Like, I can't, this is not, I, you know, I'm not here to tear her down, but I can't tell if she ever is trying or she's just showing up and being like, okay, this is, this is it. I've been hired for this. I'm just going to show up and do it. Here are the lines. I am breathing. Yeah. In. Yeah. That's, Which, I've got a lot of respect for, to be fair. Yeah, no. I mean, bravo, good honor. She won a big yeah. lawsuit with the Sharknado people because they used her likeness. Because she was very specific saying, I don't want you to use my likeness if you license it for casinos and stuff. She, mm. She's not into gambling. And they did. They put her face on some Sharknado. Did um, they? That's outrageous. Yeah, so, yeah, it is. So, you know, I don't dislike her as a person. I just, it's like, there's a lot of actors and actresses, and I think as part of as the show goes on for you, this will come up. <laughs> I think there's a lot of actresses who I think are terrible, but who people like. I think people like Tara Reid, and so mm, they keep having mm. her be in films. I think people like Juliette Lewis. She's fun to be around, yes, but she's yeah. not very good. I think people think, oh, you know who I want to hang out with? Jennifer Lawrence. She makes me laugh. I'm like, great. Can she just hang out and be your friend? And can we not have her in the front of the camera? So those are my issues. I think all three of those actors, actresses in this case, are terrible, but they keep getting jobs. It's the Keanu Reeves thing. Keanu Reeves is a bad actor, but he's pleasant. Ed Norton is an amazing actor in a giant cock. Yeah. No one wants to work with him. So you, that's why Keanu Reeves has the Keanu, is Keanu Reeves and why yeah. Ed Norton is Ed Norton. And so, you know, I feel like there's, there's something to that, to, to, the, to Tara Reed probably being delightful. People like being around her. Yeah, she seems fun, doesn't she? I reckon you'd have a great laugh with her. I think so too. So, sorry, <laughs> Josie the Pussycat. Yeah, so, so back to Josie. No, I loved that chat. <laughs> I do have, I have made a note for myself, which is, Rhea, if you start getting off track, just bring it back to Josie and you can do it. So I think this is my first time I'm going to be checking in on that note. <laughs> See how many other times there is during the chat. So let's get on to it. What I would love from you is to tell our listeners a synopsis of Josie and Pussycats, the film, the movie. Sure. sure. So in 2001, uh, I believe it takes place in real time, uh, Josie and the Pussycats are a garage band in Riverdale somewhere. We don't know where. Somewhere where there's a river and a dale. And they, um, they are not getting very far. <laughs> they um, luck and then they back into it an agent, a, a record producer played by the always amazing Alan Cummings, mm -hmm. shows up because his band, De Jour, which I love <laughs> that name, has figured something out. There's a secret. And so he's had to kill them. And so he needs a new act. And his boss, Parker Posey, needs a new act. And so they go from literally playing in a bowling alley where they're like, thanks, ladies, we need the aisle back, to being number one in a week. And wackiness ensues. And there's this bizarre subplot about um, subliminal advertising <laughs> and advertising in general and, and the commentary about the selling out of, of rock stars. So that's it. I, I mean, you know, there's a, I feel like that's it. It's just <laughs> girls, girls, girl band breaks big. They have fight. They win. They fight the bad guys. Yeah. Pretty much. Rock the great corporation. Great synopsis. Thank you. Perfect. Um, you told me to do it. I should have written something down. <laughs> Uh, that's what I thought you've got it I think um okay. yeah 
<laughs> so the main players in the film as well. So we've got Josie, obviously, uh, played by Rachel Lee Cook. We've got Rosario Dawson, who plays Val. Um, Tara Reid plays Melody. Um, they're the titular Pussycats. Um, and then obviously the wonderful Alan Cummings as, let me just quickly get up my IMDb, as Wyatt's Parker Posey's Fiona, I've remembered that one. And then we obviously get the uh, appearances of Alexander, um, Paul Costanzo, Missy mm -hmm. Parle as Alexandra, and then Gabriel Mann as Alan M. So they're like the main, the main players that we will be touching on. Um, I guess, what would you say genre is? It? Is it a musical comedy? Would you? I, I don't see, because there is a lot of music, but I don't mm. know that it is a musical. Like it's a, it's a, it's definitely just a comedy, clearly. Um, it's kind of like, do you ever see Once? Yes, I love Once. I love yes. Once too. And everything that he does, actually, everything oh, that, that, yes. um, that Jonathan makes, are they musicals or are they songs? So like, mm. is Once a musical? Is Sing Street a musical? Is Begin Again a musical? Like, I don't know, like, so movies that are about music, mm. music, they play full songs in them. Um, so I guess technically, because in this movie, they play like a, what, four full songs plus a couple of, you know, reprises now and mm. again. So I guess, I guess if that's what you saw, but it's definitely a, a comedy about music that yes. has at least five full music videos, four to five full <laughs> music videos in it. So I think the music videos are genius. I do too. Um, so I smart. Think, I think yeah. so clever. And we'll, we'll talk, let's get to that. So let's, um, let's just, Let's just get through to talking about it. So what I'm going to quickly say is, unsurprisingly, it was a box office bomb. And I say unsurprisingly because when you look at it all written down on paper, you are, you know, from looking at it in 2021, you are like, this film sounds like madness. People didn't get madness. it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> People didn't get, didn't get it at all. Um, it made uh, 14.9 million in the US. It was just a fraction of its budget. Its budget was about 40 million, I think. Um, and although I, I don't think Rotten Tomatoes is a great barometer of a film, its approval rating is actually not too bad. It's 53%, which actually isn't that bad, considering how just terrible some of the reviews were. So what I was going to do was go through two of the worst reviews. But and these are going to be critic reviews or people's Critic reviews. reviews. Okay, yeah, I see it's a 47 on Metacritic. Oh, yeah, it's not, you know, not great. Not great. Um, I thought it'd be more fun after reading the reviews to pull together maybe five or six of some of the statements that critics made um, that we're about to find out I don't necessarily agree with. Um, and I think they're a lot more aggressive maybe than I think they needed to be. So here's just some, some choice wording from some of the reviews. So from Rolling Stone, we get their cool-to-be-cruel stance is too hip for the room and a likely turn-off for preteen girls who don't like fluff balls laced with bile. Right? Wow. <laughs> I mean, first of all, whoa, what a sentence. Blah, I'm not sure you should be writing. Um, second of all, the ending is... Un un like, it's just not needed. Then we get the lovely USA Today that says the concept is so hypocritical it's like Britney Spears calling Christina Aguilera un underdressed and overexposed. Wow <laughs> that is also a time capsule of a review. Right. Love it. I, like that a lot. <laughs> I yeah. mean this whole film is I think maybe this is why I like it so much it is the perfect time capsule 
it's <laughs> watching it and I was like oh I'm so glad there's I mean, I know no it's photos but it is really 90s yeah 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 <laughs> Um, Chicago Tribune said nothing more than a cutesy movie strapped with bad and obvious idea. Marketing gone amok. It's a muck. I've said a muck. Um, Film.com said this is most possibly my favourite. I've seen NBA games where the advertising is more discreet. So my question to that reviewer is, did you watch the film? Because yeah. if you did, I'm not sure you understood a single thing in it. At all. Yeah, at, like literally at all, did not get it. And then we've got real views, which is whew, what we have here are three boring actresses playing three boring characters in one boring movie. Yeah. And that's then a, that's a paid critic. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Please. I mean, there's not even. Well, you can say a lot. It's not a perfect film, but to say that it's boring, I. I don't think again the music videos it's there's constant it's like in your face it's a relentless it starts off with a music video by DuJour which is magical and, I mean it's just and amazing. it never lets up it never even in the middle when it there's like a lull in the middle when they have to create tension and they have to then do like Parker Posey's exposition backstory <laughs> stuff which I love her I mean but she even that isn't slow. It's still like an assault on your senses in that room, in the girls' room. Oh my God. Yeah. What is happening? Like, how can you find that boring? You can maybe, it could be a turnoff. You'd be like, that's over the top, but boring is not the word. Like you can find it irritating, annoying, but it's not boring, you know? And I think that's the thing about the film. It does, it is not boring, even if you don't like it at all. And I, let's move on to the final, okay. final Ooh, one. There's one that's worse. Oh my God. Which is, okay. Roger Ebert. Himself. Himself. Okay. <sighs> Josie and the Pussycats are not dumber than the Spice Girls, but they're as dumb as the Spice Girls, which is dumb enough. Wow. Yeah. Again, he doesn't know what the Spice Girls are then, does I he? mean... <laughs> old to understand what the Spice Girls were. I just, and I just think it's unnecessarily brutal. Yeah. And you know, I've not gone out, I've not gone and purposefully chosen the most brutal sentences people can write out of mm -hmm. these reviews. These are like the main these are the blurbs. Yeah. That they from used. like Metacritic or yeah. from Rotten Tomatoes. Yeah. Oh and I just I know so and this is exactly what I'm talking about. You know, these are people and there are two women in there who have done reviews or tried to make it as even as possible. And for me it's they just scream of not understanding what they were trying to do with the film, what the content is, or what the audience was there for. Now, audiences didn't turn out for this film, you know, a very low amount, but it's been gaining a, goal, a cult following, um, especially since, you know, it came out on like VHS and DVD. And then Mondo, they did a poster, they, not a poster release, they did a record release, um, oh. and that Got, got you know more people talking about it so lots of think pieces started coming out and more people have started to engage with it but one of the most enjoying things I found about the film is it is women of my generation who remember seeing it and when I saw it as a as a young woman I was like oh my god this is amazing because it's just like friendship and fun and fashion and music and it's cool and these girls have got guitars holy shit that's amazing and then the older I've gotten the more I've appreciated it for what it is and, you know, it's it's that initial 
watching it and going, this film is something for me and for me to enjoy. And then being able to enjoy it a bit more critically as I've grown older, but not to tear it down just because it is for girls and women. Right. Well, and, and it seems silly to me. It's it, it, it would be just as stupid to say, well, this is a movie that's for children. And mm. so therefore it's bad. But what is Pixar is always rewarded for saying, let's throw the adults some bones, right? There's something in there. And it's not just Pixar. DreamWorks does it with the Madagascar films. There's always mm-hmm. just enough, like, this is for you, parents. We know you're here. <laughs> but, but those movies aren't ridiculed. It's like, well, this is a movie for children and it's got children's messages. So therefore it's dumb. And that's what this sounds like. It's like, well, this is a movie for girls and yeah. young women. And so it's got young women in it and women in charge of the film as the writer and director. Therefore it's dumb. And you're like, wait, 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 you can't, you can't say at the same time when this is coming out, like at the height of, you know, Pixar is really getting its teeth in and, and, you know, the new, the new wave of Disney animated films are happening and people, they're being rewarded for that. And it's the exact same thing. It's like, we have an audience. This is the audience we're making it to it, but they made this PG 13. There's only what two shits in the whole movie. And I think Parker says them both. I don't think the pussycats swear at all. No, I don't think there's, so. No. And yes, there's the line where it's like, honk, if you love pussy cats. And again, if you took a 12 year old girl to that, she may get that joke. She may not get that joke. If you know, it could be like giggle, ha, ha, yeah. ha, whatever. <laughs> That's fine. But what this movie was, is it gave the parents who were taking their 12 year olds something. And that's where all of the plot is, the genius of the, the advertising. I have to say, milk out the nose funny when, when Alan M and Josie are at the aquarium and they hide in the manatee tank and it says Avion. Yeah, so good. Come on. <laughs> that's so smart. That like every, right from the beginning, as soon as you meet du jour, du jour, which means of the day, Right. And so they're not even a thing. I mean, their opening song, Backdoor Lover, which Backdoor Lover. may be one of the funniest. <laughs> I mean, it was intentionally funny, but the best part about it is, is they're making a comment on the songs that you sing as ch- the songs children sing. They don't know what the words are. Yeah. And that's what Backdoor Lover is. And so right from the beginning, it's like super smart. So every adult in the theater is like, oh my God, thank you for making something in this movie for me. Um, and that's what children's movies are rewarded for, but this one was shunned for that. And so I find that frustrating. Yeah, absolutely. And it's the, it's the assumption that anything for girls, young girls, teenagers, is not worth your time to engage with and review properly review actually critically and I don't feel like any of those reviews do that there are actually some reviews that you know turn that are like look it's not fantastic but it's doing something you know teenagers are going to enjoy this it's really nice to see female friendship up there but it's not for me and their reviews I can get behind but it's these like like I said they're very aggressive it's very tearing it down and I don't think that's needed I do think these days we've moved on from that kind of reviewing of, of films and movies which is fantastic but I still don't think that excuses putting that out there and you know and if a young girl or a young woman hey a young boy because you know teenage boys would have loved this three hot women playing guitars in skimpy clothes I mean 
yeah you know you see that and you're and, and this has happened to me multiple times not anymore because of, I'm a lot more grown up and I don't have time for all of that shit but you go oh, okay I'm not allowed to like this if I like film I can't like this because mm-hmm. I should be liking the godfather and I just and I just think that's bullshit you know yeah. we see this with young adult novels I've talked about this before I love young adult novels I love young adult adult anything because I feel like people society as a whole we dismiss it which means that they can talk about more things than we would in an adult fiction novel and I think that's really exciting so I I like gobble them up because I just like oh yeah we're actually going to talk about something exciting and interesting um and I I feel it's that same sort of I don't even know if hatred is the right word but just not giving yeah disdain thank you and just not giving it the time of day that it necessarily deserves so that's us being negative about it let's pull all together these criticisms of it whether they're valid or not and let's talk about the film and look at it as you do um on season's greetings through a lens from when we first watched it to now and do those critiques hold up what do you think I don't think they hold up at all. I think, I mean, there are problems here through the 2021 lens. So it's 20 years later. This is, there's a, there's a, excuse me, there's a guy I follow on Twitter who, um, I can't think of his name, sorry, sir, who he actually just put out a 20th anniversary book of this, kickstarted it. Josie, the Pussycats, the book, like he wrote a book about the making of this film. Yeah, yeah. Um, So I'll send that to you so we can tag him when this comes out on Sunday. And, um, so, so there is enough cultural goodwill behind this film now. So I think, mm. I think that those reviews, they didn't, they didn't hold up then because those weren't, you weren't criticizing the film for what it was. Again, to say boring, you can say annoying, you can say over the top, I mean, campy. <laughs> Listen, Massively Parker campy. Posey, as I said, when we first started, it's like, she is like, this is how you camp. Let me show you what yep. camp is. And she knew exactly what she was hired to do. There's a scene where she's got um, feathers on wires and the sound, the sound design of that scene, every time she turns, it goes, listen, and she's straight faced. And and there's outtakes at the end where, you know, she cracks up because how could you not? But she's a pro and she keeps going. And I think, I think there's so much to, to, that if you don't like camp, okay. And it's one thing, and that's the thing about critics. This is what fucking pisses me off about (laughs) tomatoes and critics in general is that, if you're a professional critic, whether you like it or not is irrelevant. Mm-hmm. And so those reviews you read are people who were butthurt about something as opposed to people who are like saying it's campy and over the top. And I think I like the, the one who almost had a review about, well, it's a little too on the nose with the advertising is bad. So like, okay. Okay. And like the selling out of, of music and the fact that Carson Daly is going to come in here and, make fun of himself and play himself knowing full well, like his part in this bullshit, the bullshitification of rock. I'm with all of that. Like, so if you want to give it a critical eye and say, I think it was overkill, there was no subtlety. And that's a problem. That's a critical comment I can give. I tell my students all the time when I make them read a book, I'm like, look, I don't give a shit if you like it or not. So here's a secondary, because I teach online. So here's a secondary discussion post that's ungraded for you to bitch about it and say, here's what I hated and this was annoying or whatever. Because in this part, the academic side of the discussion, that's irrelevant. Mm. Your enjoyment of the book isn't why we're here. I didn't give you, this isn't a book club. This is a class. So to me, if you're a paid film critic, 
you're not a fan anymore. You get to be a fan. You know, like that's why, like for me, what we're doing here, we're just not here to say, oh my God, Joseph, this sketch is so fun. I love that fucking soundtrack. I listen to it all the goddamn time. <laughs> I can say that and that's true. However, we're trying to be critical. We're being more respectful to art than, than the people who are paid to do this. And so that to me is super frustrating. Mm, I completely agree. I agree with all of that. And I do wonder if it's something to do with movie reviewers and especially, you know, 10, 20 years ago that they were seen as the singular voice on how people should feel about films. Um, You know, in none of those reviews that I was looking at were any of them, you know, younger than 25 or any of them, you know, anybody who would sit and listen to Britney Spears um, and who would then sit and reflect now on everything that's happened to Britney Spears and how this film really was on the nose with that shit. Um, For sure, yeah. <laughs> you know, I, I think there's a real, a real lack of willing to understand the content. And, I've, and that's what I find really difficult. So like, you know, so for me, positives about the film are, I think it's a film that's about celebration in general like it's there to be happy and to to celebrate everything that happens in it really like the villains aren't really villains they're all a bit silly um you know it's all camp and 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 it knows that and it has fun with it, it you know it's about love friendship you know the women that the pussycats are incredibly affectionate with each other they're some of the most real female friendships i've ever seen on screen um it's about working together. It's about just being good enough. You know, like they're good. The Pussycats are good at playing oh, yeah. music, at they're what they hard. do, at yeah. doing banging tunes. And they deserve some sort of reward for that, you know, for, for being hard. good. They've worked hard, exactly. You know, it's about girl power. It's about sisterhood. It's not about cute boys. I mean, sure, there's a, a romance in it, but let's be honest, nobody gives a shit about the romance in that film, which is so refreshing. They like, really shoved that in. <laughs> yeah. And I even feel like, you know, Josie and, and the fella who... who Alan. Um, Alan, thank you. Like, I, I feel like they're, they're not even really that bothered about their own romance, are they really? You know, and they're, they're all the positives about it. And I think that's something we rarely see on screen. You know, I do think there are you know I don't want people going oh well this film does do that and is that fine but for this for this type of film when it came out I think that's you know something we very rarely see criticisms are of it acting not fabulous um the script definitely could have been a bit tighter um although runtime absolutely only 93 minutes or something yeah um you know and sometimes a little bit too on the nose sometimes a little bit too campy but that's it like and I and I genuinely watched it to be like I'm I'm not going to go in and just say it's the best film that I've ever seen because I I don't want to do that but that's pretty much all I've got I mean some of the jokes don't hit the Bill Cosby thing has not aged well it did not age no you know two men trying to kill women with baseball bats not aged well not great at the time but even worse now you know those sort of things but in terms of actual criticisms of it you know there's nothing really there to inspire any 
rabid dislike and I and that's where I it it just oh god I, I, I can feel myself getting wound up no go <laughs> let it go <laughs> and and that's where the criticisms don't work yeah that's where I'm going to no, stop for now because I'm about to go on a massive rant but I no. think we need to move on <laughs> well but, but it, I mean it's your show so yeah. you, you've got to do what you got to do you can always edit it out later if you need to. <laughs> I feel, no, I, I totally agree with everything that you're saying. There is, I don't struggle with camp when it knows it's camp. Mm. This movie didn't pretend to not be camp. This mm. movie wasn't, this is from Archie Comics. This isn't, I mean, this isn't a remake of, you know, Romeo and Juliet. You know what I mean? It's not <laughs> yeah. like, let's camp that up. I mean, and I still think if you look at even like Baz Luhrmann's version of that, there's a lot of camp in there. I mean, oh, Paul yeah, is going for it. And, you know, with John Leguizamo's Tibble, he's like growling literally because he's the Prince of Cats. He's literally growling. He's like, and he's all dressed like Prince. And, I, you know, and I love that. I love that movie. And I think that's over the top of because that's Baz Luhrmann and it's, it's considered stylized instead mm. of camp. And I don't get why that is. I think that you could look at this movie and say it's just stylized this is, movie is very much stylized and so sorry to interrupt and especially no. when it comes to sort of the music video elements of it it absolutely knows what it's doing the the direction of those music videos are well they're music videos within a film yeah. and they are genuine music videos well i think i clocked like four maybe five music yeah, videos. Four or five. i think is it, there's one over the end credits too yes yeah yeah and that's yeah that's amazing. I've never seen a film that's done that before. You know, no, it just and that, leans right in. Yeah. Wait, well, that's why I brought up like once in Sing Street. I think Sing Street does it. Yes. Um, like, because in actually. Sing Street, because that's made by the same guy, mm. um, uh, you know, and he, in that, they're like trying to be a band. You know, they're like, that's the whole thing. They're like, let's make a music video. And yeah. so it's at all of his movies do that. They're like, we're just going to, we're, we're, we're showcasing the talent here. Where unfortunately, the the pussycats in the movie while they're great at pretending they're playing that's not them playing yes. they actually hired a real band to to do that which is too bad um you know i i like it when like so i like we talked about that thing you do also has several just here's the full song we're gonna yeah. watch the wonders perform and if you don't like the song that thing you do you're gonna hate that movie because they play it in full <laughs> times and um but you see like full like music montages and there's so that's what it is, a music video, you know, they use the music video as montage. And, mm -hmm. and listen, why does everybody love Rocky IV? Montage. You I mean, <laughs> Rocky IV has the montageous montages of all, like running in the snow and Rocky III has the running on the beach. People love Rocky III and IV, not because they're good. They're fine, you know, but what gets you are the montages. And so this movie, that's a choice. And, you know, and like when you think, did you ever see uh, Team America World Police? Yes. They, there's the song, We Need a Montage. Yeah. Gotta have a montage. Love that. And that's so, that's on the nose, right? And, and so I think they just know what they're doing. And that, it's not, the problem that I have is this movie isn't rewarded for knowing what it's doing. Yeah, I agree. It's a, it's a film for women, about women, by women, but also... We're bringing everybody in. Like you said, it's like three hot ladies in scantily clad, um, you know, outfits playing rock music. Well, that's why, who, who doesn't like that? Who's against that then? If you're saying, well, that's for women, but it's like, wait, 
it's always the fanboys who are screaming like that's for girls yeah dude you're the one who when you were 12 had the all of the or not even you know when you were 22 you had the posters (laughs) of the scantily clad women on your wall so why don't you want to see a movie about that why don't you want to see them move? Is that yeah. the problem? Is that when they're moving, they have agency, but when their poster's on your wall, when they're posterified, all they're just objects. Yeah. These women have agency. And is that, so to me, is that the issue with this and all of the films you're going to cover that the women, I mean, I know it's on your list in every one of them, <laughs> there's a hot lady in there somewhere, fine. right? It was fine. <laughs> right. But so it's like the men who hate this movie yeah. also want to objectify the yes. hot ladies. And so it's like, wait, you like to see the hot ladies, but then you didn't go see the movie with the hot ladies. Why? What is that? What that to me is the, is the place where we need to spend yeah. some time is because I'm sorry, that opening, I mean, the way that they introduce the characters is brilliant with, again, stylized. Here's Val. She's on base and they're going to show her and, you know. And, and, that, and, and the way they stylize that, you would see that in an Edgar Wright film. Oh, students I was like Edgar Wright would absolutely do something like that without a doubt. Stuff like that. Yeah, and it's just uh, so yeah, right. So there's a couple of things you talked about there. I think you're 100% right about the agency, and this film has women with agency. That the the side characters are nothing in this film, really. You know, Alexandra and Alexander, um, Alan M. I keep on forgetting his name because he's so pointless. They even make fun of it. Yeah, yeah, hey, yeah. Adam Twelve. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> You know, because it is about three women. They happen to be attractive. Um, you know, they happen happen to fulfill three specific, quite male fantasies of, uh, sure. you know, of how they look. Um, but actually, at the same time, they are not filmed in any exploitative way at all. I didn't feel like that throughout. You know, sure, they're wearing halter neck tops and stuff like that. But I mean... I did at that age as well. And I wasn't doing it for male attention. I was doing it because they were shiny and I like shiny tops. Um, yeah. and, you, and for me, I get that. I get that message across in the film. Nothing they do is motivation for somebody else. It's all for themselves. And you see that in the, in the way they play the characters, in the writing and the way it's shot. At no point, you know, we talked about Tara Reid in the shower. At no point do I feel like that's to get Tara Reid in the shower. I mean, it probably was, because, you know, she's the hot blonde chick. But at the same time, we don't see side boob, we don't see cleavage, no, we don't see butt, nothing. we don't see Shoulders. anything at all. Yeah. And as, as my other half, Kevin, said, he thinks it's absolutely hilarious. Um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm sure she could have been in a different setting, but it works really well. It fits into like that nice horror trope of somebody's in the bathroom. That's what it was. Um, yeah. Super yeah. Smart. And so, yeah. yeah, it works really well. Um, and... I do think that's what's unique about this film and some other films that came out at the time, like It Made Me Really Think, which actually came out the same year, Get Over It, um, with Kirsten Dunst. So it's basically a twist on um, Shakespeare on A Midsummer Night's Dream, I believe, or they're doing A Midsummer Night's... No, no, it's not. It's um, Anyway, I can't remember. I think they do Midsummer Night's Dream in it, but it's on... uh, Anyway, it doesn't matter. Um, (laughs) We're not talking about that film. Um, and I've totally lost my point now. But I think that, you know, that was very rarely seen. You know, around that time, we sort of had comedies, which would be men like golfing or whatever. And, you know, you'd see tits. And this is the complete opposite of that. Yeah. And then what they don't do, and they could have, 
but because it's an Archie comic property. And now, you know, the new Archie stuff on Riverdale and whatever, it's a lot more, that's more adult than this movie. Mm -hmm. um, but they could have gone the other way. Like, I feel like if you made this movie now, it would be more like The Spy Who Dumped Me, where they're like, we're not just going to not show tits. We're going to actually show junk. We're going to release the yeah. dongs. The only nudity <laughs> is going to be male nudity. And because that's the joke, right? Like, it's the commentary on that. So they could have easily... They could have, instead of playing at a bowling alley at the beginning, they could have been playing like at a male strip club. Yeah. And that would have been really funny because, you know, there's always, it, it, you know that you're in a bad place when the movie for no reason has a strip club. <laughs> They're like, why are we, like, the only reason this movie has a strip club scene is just to have randomly have boobs. Like yep. Beverly Hills Cop, did you, could that have been anywhere? Did it have to be a strip club? I mean, that scene is really funny and he recognizes the guy's got a bulge in his shit, whatever, but that could have been anywhere. You could have been at a restaurant. You could mm -hmm. have been in just a regular dive bar. Nope. We want to make sure this, this has got the boobies in it. So here you go, boobies. And, and this movie definitely, it could have leaned that way, but it also could have taken that risk and been like, well, if we're not going to make any money anyway. Might as well show the junk. Might as well release the dogs. <laughs> um, so it's, so, but it is, I, I agree completely with what you're saying is, is they, they make so many intentional choices here that also probably hurt it because mm. they are three sexy ladies in tight clothes, you know, playing in a rock band, but they keep their clothes on. And people are like, I don't want to see Rosario Dawson's shoulder. Yeah. I can see that anywhere. I don't need, you know, like, what do you mean that, you know, they, Tara Reed, she's all you get a shower scene with a shoulder lame i want more than janet lee but that is the almost exact shot yeah. from psycho right yeah that's all you see in psycho but at the time <gasps> that was like gasp we see <laughs> janet lee's neck <laughs> so you know and it's, it's wet uh, from shower water and it's wet what are we gonna shower? do yeah but i think what's super smart in the shower scene is that when she every time she claps and she drops her sponge the camera states yeah it doesn't go down it doesn't her, yeah. follow her and again it's Make, I think, again, that's making fun of in a different director's hand with different cast and different everything, you'd follow her down. Yeah, absolutely. I always think about shower scenes and women in shower scenes. I don't know why we're always having so many showers. Um, Lots of showers. Yeah, so many showers. You know, and you think of the Angelina Jolie Tomb Raider film, first Tomb Raider film, and for some reason she's having a very long, steamy, sexy shower in that film. It's like, Lara Croft isn't hanging around having sexy showers. She's got so much other shit to do. Um, so, so again, you know, I'm watching the shower scene, which I'd actually forgot was in the film. I completely forgot it was there. And I had a second. I was like, oh, no. And then fleeting, gone, because they yeah. don't do it at all. And there's none of that, you know, that, you know, that they get them dressing up in fun clothes and stuff like that. But it's no like, oh, now I'm in my bra getting changed or I'm behind a screen and you get a little peek of me. None of that happens at all. Um, and I really like that. And I think that, like you, like you said, I think that's some, that's a real strength of the film. It takes their, their agency seriously. And they're not just there to be looked at and to be, as I would say, perved over. That's not what this film's about at all. You know, is there a point in there when any men objectify them? I don't think there is, is there? Like their fans no. are, 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 you know, everybody. And at no point are the fans there being like, oh, you're so beautiful, I love you. They do that with, with um, 
thank you just dropped out of my head at the beginning you know you've got the girls they're screaming saying they're my favorite band and that I love them and I want to marry them and they don't do that the other way around with Josie and the Pussycats no it's the it's girls who show up and want to be them yeah yeah girls who hate them girls from Riverdale yes you know who who, like high school girls who were like you guys are lame and then later they're like oh my god you guys are my favorite (laughs) that's what I love about those three is because the way I read it is they're high school girls like Josie and the Pussycats are adult women, you know, they're, you know, in their twenties, yeah. they're playing at a, and these high school girls in this like way fancy Jeep that one of their parents bought them are trolling these adult women. And these adult women are like, oh my God, our whole worthiness is being based on these 16 year old girls screaming whether they like us or not. So I know they probably were adult women playing that, but I read them as girls. Like they were acting, like their roles were teenage, you know, high school juniors and seniors, girls deciding that Josie and the Pussycats have worth. And so, yeah, the only way they're, they're actually judged and objectified is, is by, you know, Alexandra who hates them. Yeah. Um, just because why are you, and the, the, that's my favorite line. Why are you here? Because <laughs> I'm in the comics. Cause they're even acknowledging Alexandra and Alex are re- irrelevant to this story. So yeah. they're just like, <laughs> so, so good. Chef's kiss. Uh... And, you know, it's like, and I thought it was really smart too, because again, we talked about that thing you do, which I think this this is like the spiritual sister of that thing you do. It's very similar, um, you know, because they they climb the charts, and of course that movie ends with the breakup because that mm. makes the sense for that movie, where this one doesn't end up with the breakup. But the only reason they get Faye to come along in that movie is she has to be the costume mistress. I would have loved for them to be when Alan M's on the plane and he's like, she said, "You're my guitar tech." I would have loved it if it had been like. You're only here because I told them you were my costume master. Nice. That would have been spot on. Like, because I know that that line is borrowing heavily from that thing you do, because that's the only reason Faye is there, because that thing you do came out before this. But I would have liked that. I would have, I just would, <laughs> but it was the same. It was like, again, making up bullshit reasons for him to be there. Um, and he's irrelevant. And, and even he doesn't objectify her. And in the mm-hmm. comics, Alan never does objectify Josie, but Alexander does. Mm. He objectifies all the pussycats. Like he wants them all to love him. And, and that is not on display here. And I think that was a really smart choice that, that um, and again, like you said, you call it pervy, but I mean, you're, you can't look at these and go like, well, there's a bunch of hot people in this movie. There are, everybody's yeah. looking great. Pretty everybody much, looks yeah. great. Parker, <laughs> Parker's at the top of her game, right? Everybody looks amazing but that's not the point it's there it's intentional they were like you know no uggos could apply to be in this film on purpose (laughs) right so so then you can make the commentary about it yeah yeah because it's not that movie it's not the movie about like we're watching the show in america it's called the big leap which is like a a it's a it's a tv show like a scripted show about a dance show like i don't watch any of the dancing shows like so you think you can dance or American oh, right, yeah yeah but like it, it, it's taking place in detroit so we're watching it but the main star is like a an, you know an overweight african-american woman and they're making her the star of the show and you know like everybody's into her and it's just not being commented on at all except for her the character herself is commenting mm. on she knows what she looks like and everything and so i think it's really smartly done because like everybody around her is like you're awesome and so that's the point of that. You know what I mean? Like, they're like, we need somebody. Like when the casting calls went out, they're like, no, you don't get to be the lead. The lead is going to be a certain person yeah. where it's like this, they, the casting director knew we need these to be like super hottie pants McGee's because 
then when we don't objectify them, that's the commentary. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. And how refreshing. Um, and there's lots of little gender flipped things as well throughout. So, you know, it's it's Alan M who gets left behind he and does. they become stars and he's just in that grungy little bar or whatever it is. Playing, playing. in front of the gents. Yeah, amazing. You know, and we, we traditionally see that, right? The woman gets left behind because the mm-hmm. man's some musical genius and he's gone off and he's he's doing whatever. Um, you, you see... Um, um, oh gosh um, so Fiona's in charge of the big company um, yeah. Wyatt couldn't remember his name you know he's he's very like snivelling and, and doing everything for her bidding you know that's a gender flip as well sure we see it now these days but we didn't really see that in 2001 all of that stuff it's all and it's conscious you know it's not as we've talked about the film before, everything's there for a reason. Oh, you know, 100%. When there's a poster in the background, it's not just because somebody's randomly left it up there. You know, all of the... And that's what's so powerful about this film, that everything's consciously done. And that's why it's so annoying that people just don't get it. And I think that's why things like when people are talking about Britney Spears and Christina Aguilera and the advertising, that irritates me because they got a fundamental lack of understanding of one of culture at the time and of what the film's trying to do. Yeah, well, right, because the, the point of du jour, right, they're the, they're, that's the in-sync thing, right? They were like in-sync yeah. and then it, they were created in a lab to be a certain thing. And then when then they, as a band, were like, well, we're talented, like we, you didn't bring us together, like they made a mistake, right? Because in sync, the reason in sync broke up isn't because they dislike each other. It's because they couldn't they couldn't write their own music as a band. Mm-hmm. So they all had to break up and go do whatever. And they made they made plenty of money. I'm not pretending they didn't. But like you know, Justin Timberlake is a pretty talented fella, and they weren't going to let him do anything because it's like nope, you're going to play the songs that we're telling you to do, whatever. So I think that was happening at this time, and you know, and like you said, Brittany and Christina who are also came from the Justin Timberlake, they came from the Mickey Mouse Club. Mm-hmm. You know, they were like, talk about grooming. That's super gross um, to think about what came out of the Mickey Mouse Club and who you were grooming out of the Mickey Mouse Club, all three of them. And, and, and they all went on to be these things because they were groomed to be that. And Christina and Justin got out of it and Brittany didn't. And so it's, and again, you know, like that review in hindsight is even worse than yeah. it was at the time. But like, the first time I saw Britney Spears, she was like dressed like a sexy schoolgirl in a music yeah. video. And then you find out, oh, she is only 16 years old. What are we doing? Oops, I did it again was the song. She was a minor. Yeah. When they made that video. What the fuck? And this movie is about that. It's like. Absolutely. It's, yeah. It is totally intentionally about that. Because the, again, these are, these are women with agency, like you said. And these men, the dumbass and du jour, you know, they're like trying to, you know, that's the comments there. It's like this prefab pop music, not that it's not catchy and not that it's not good. It's not like, listen, in my new book that I'm trying to sell, there's, I have a whole section in there where everybody of different musical tastes all come together for a boy band. Amazing. It's true. <laughs> Tell me it's wrong. If, if you're somewhere and this person listens to heavy metal and this person listens to rap and this person listens to indie pop and Backstreet's Back All Right comes on, 
everybody everybody stops and dances it's yeah everybody knows every word yeah everybody ironically or unironically loves it and so this movie knows that too and so it's it it, watching it again knowing i'm going to think about it critically i'm so blown away at how smart it is and you said the script is a little it could be tightened up but it's when you take the music videos out it's a 75 minute movie Mm -hmm. so you know i feel like i agree there's some things they could have I actually think you could just cut Alan out. <laughs> yes, that that's the sort of things that I'm talking about. And Alex and Alexandra, I think they're just not needed. Just right. get rid of them. But without them, it's I mean, too short. The it's fans would be up film. in arms. <laughs> they might be. I doubt that. No, they wouldn't be. You wouldn't even notice they were gone. <laughs> they're just there for filler. Um, they get it. They are the cumbersome part of the mm. film. But when you look at what the movie is and what it's saying and and why it is is trying to say the thing that it's saying. Um, I think that's, I think it it makes it worthy of this. I'm glad this is your first show Yay. because I think I think it is a malign. Um, I, I you know Lee didn't like it at all. She, I really like, yeah. Well, it just it was not. She doesn't like camp. Yeah, Kevin didn't care for it. He was, yeah. he he understood why I want to talk about yeah, it yeah. and why I think she, the things yeah, I did, but he sure. was like, I'm not going to watch it again. Yeah, she doesn't like camp at all. Like that's she doesn't like Star Trek. She doesn't like anything yeah. Shatner's in in general. Like camp isn't her thing. It's not like I love the Sharknado movies. She's like I don't. That's, why <laughs> do like, I please, please stop making Tara me Reed. watch them. I know. <laughs> I don't make her watch them. Those are just for me. So like camp is not her thing. So like the Cornetto trilogy, I've never made her watch those because <laughs> while those are satire, they're also campy. Yes. And so it's not her thing. So it wasn't that she thought the performances were bad, except for one. It's not that, you know, she loves Parker Posey and the things that she's in, but she's just like, mm, didn't care, couldn't, but didn't say, oh my God, that's the word. But there's a critical reason for it. It's like, I, like you said from the beginning, to say, I don't like this because I don't like camp or I don't like it because it's annoying. It is annoying. It is super annoying. If, if this hits the wrong button for you, it's like somebody blow it in your ear for an hour and a half. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So one of the things that we obviously have to talk about is the commentary on commercialism, um, sure. advertising. And I think maybe let's talk about this. And then I do just want to talk about Rosario Dawson for a little bit at the end. Um, end on I a mean, high. <laughs> for sure. Just before and, we get and, there, and the one thing. Well. <laughs> I just want to point this out on the DVD that I have. Oh, yes. It says it thumbs says up. Th- because it's Richard Roper from At The Movies. Roger Ebert's partner liked this one. Yes. yes. It was after Gene Siskel had passed away, but it was, it says Richard Roper, At The Movies, thumbs I'm up. Very half that. We need a photo of that. I'm going to share that on social okay. media. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I just wanted to make sure you knew that I would love to have seen, they used to film that at the movies, like Roger Ebert and Gene Siskel would talk and they would bicker and they would be on TV. Oh, yes, so I would yes. love to have seen Richard Roper and Roger Ebert argue about Joseph <laughs> and the Pussy Cats. Cats. Wouldn't that be I amazing? I feel like we should maybe write a script and just <laughs> act it out. Like what? Like, like read their written reviews and like turn that into a like a two person play. Mm, so good. Okay, I'm done. No, I'm. We're on board. I think we're just gonna. Our lives are just gonna be Josie now. I think that's it. Yeah, all it is. And yeah. we <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. <laughs>
Ah, uh, right. <laughs> I, I've totally lost track because I'm now just thinking consumerism. about consumerism. Sorry, consumerism. Yes, yeah. um, consumerism, product placement, brands. So, I mean, I, as you can tell, think it's genius, and I think it's it it's so cleverly done, and it's such a strong social commentary, um, specifically around pop stars and how so many pop stars still today make their money through selling things you know Beyonce's only Beyonce because of all of her advertising deals sure you know that's why she's a billionaire mm-hmm. um and I think it's so clever that they understood that they saw pop music and saw what was happening to pop music and went because they didn't have to do that in this film because oh, not at all that's not in the comics that's no. not in well in but there is the one world. where Josie's selling schlepsy <laughs> nice right there is a, there is like yeah. one run in the middle of the and maybe it was around this time late 90s early aughts where they did it there was a couple of comics in the best of series mm. but it was just right it wasn't ever the focus of it yeah and it's you know it's not to how much they've dialed it up in the film and I'm not 100% sure if this is true but as far as I know none of the brands paid the filmmakers for any of the product placement so it was a very conscious decision it wasn't like you're watching Bond and you know it's a specific watch or shirt because he says it or anything like that it was we are going to put as many brands as possible in this one because it's freaking hilarious but two is because we've got something to say about it and I find that so interesting looking back at it now and how you know every day we see you know Star Wars, perfect example. Like there were Star Wars oranges out a few years ago. One of the films came out. Like what? What? How are oranges in Star Wars? Right. It's got nothing to do with it, and it's so funny watching it and looking back. And and I'm laughing about. I'm like, oh, like you said, like at the aquarium and it's it's Evian and stuff like that. And I'm laughing, but I'm also like, this is literally my daily life. This is shit that I see all the time. You know, we don't let my toddler watch certain TV channels because it's advertising every 10 minutes. And I'm like, we, I don't want her to be exposed to that. She already got enough shit coming at her from the rest of the world. And I just think it's so, so clever. And when the critics who are, criti- and so many of them are criticising that, just don't get it. They're playing into it. They're playing into the exact sort of thing they're trying to criticise. Yeah. So good. Yeah. I uh, I echo everything you're saying. What I didn't know that they didn't take any money and it makes sense because there's one line. So my dad worked for Pepsi product. Mm. Um, <laughs> and so there's a line there when Alexandra says um, Diet Coke is the new Pepsi one. And I yes. was like, wow, they, they, they got away with that because there's, um, there's an excellent film, Ricky Gervais. He's divisive, I understand, but I think his best work is a film called Invention of Lying. Mm-hmm. And that's a hard, that's a hard watch because some of the things that, that Tina Fey says are really bad. And I think if they could go back probably and, and edit that out, they would. But, she, um, but there's a scene in there where the guy's like, um, he's like, I'm so-and-so from Coke. And, you know, there's nothing. Have you ever seen Invention of Lying? I have, yes. I can't remember okay. much because okay. it's very So it's essentially though. in a world where you can't lie. So yeah. therefore the advertising is just Coke is high in sugar and it's bad for you, but. We put a polar bear on it so kids like it. Like that's the advertising. Yeah. But then later in the movie, it's like Pepsi for when there's no Coke. So it's like, again, in that film, he obviously didn't pay because you, you're not allowed to say both. Yeah. You know, so, so that was, this was one of the, so this was really the only time besides that film that I really recognized, oh, 
you're competing brands against each other on screen. So to know that they deliberately didn't take that, but they obviously had to check the brands to make sure it's okay. Yeah, and all the brands were like, yes. I mean, Target, my God. Yeah. Oh my God. Val yeah. and her Target room. <laughs> Even the Target dog yeah, and the plane, the, the DuJour's yeah. plane has Target and tied. Yeah. And um, I thought it was, I think it was smart. And, and, it's, and it's funny that the guy says NBA game, which is interesting because in America, that's only recent that the NBA starts wearing the, the like we're over there, your footy teams, they all wear, mm. like you can't get a Tottenham shirt. It's going to say whatever they're at, whatever their yes. thing is. Like you get a man, you, it's going to have a big Chevy thing on the front, which is funny. An American car company, you know, I mean, granted the owners of that team live in are from America, but it's like, there you guys are in a country notorious where so many people don't even drive in where there's this gas shortage, but one of your biggest teams has a big Chevy logo right in the <laughs> middle of their shirt. So, and NASCAR, of course, over here. Yeah, it made me think are, of Formula One as well. The advertising Formula One it. is insane. And, and it's and it's when they're doing their advertising, when they're doing their interviews after, they're like, got to drink. You just you just drove 500 miles and you you lost 40 pounds of water weight and you're <laughs> going to have to drink a Coke on your interview. That's, I'm sorry, that is commitment, sir and madam. I don't know how you do it. It doesn't make any sense to me. It's like, who's the driver who's just like, hey, you know what? I want to be sponsored by water. Yeah. <laughs> just tap, water. Just tap yeah. water. <laughs> just the wa- National Water Council. So, but yeah. So I think I think it was really smart. And it is true that, um, which, what's funny to me is, do you know who John Mellencamp is? I don't know. Okay. He's a singer, American singer, songwriter, like his... Small town is probably his his biggest hit. Uh, I was born in a small town. He's this guy from Indiana. Anyway, he's, for me, he was sorry. big for a while. It's fine. I'm sure there's other songs. People are like Jack and Diane. That's him. Little ditty about Jack and Diane. Don't know that one. No, doesn't matter. He wrote a song. <laughs> no, no. The reason I bring it up is he wrote a song. It's um, about how he wouldn't be. He wasn't going to write any pop songs and how he not singing for Pepsi and not singing for Coke and whatever. And then later, like, so that was his big thing is he would, none of his music could ever be used in advertising. He didn't even want politicians to use it. Like he was, it was a big deal for him. And then maybe like three or four years ago, he sold it to his, sold his whole song, his new debut single debuted in a Chevy commercial. And his (laughs) argument was the music industry has changed. And if I didn't do it, I couldn't make the record. There was no money. Like I'm rich, but I'm not going to spend all my money making this record. There's no record companies anymore. So I sold this, I sold the song. Chevy gave me enough money that I could make the new record. And that's why I did it. And so it's like his argument was the consumerism has like ruined music. And I think this is also saying that that's what's happening. And this is the beginning of that. So like at this time, John Mellencamp and Neil Young are both in the writing song saying, no, we're not going to do that. You know, this notes for you, that Neil Young song is about advertising and music. And so, and they all eventually, now you can hear a Neil Young song in a commercial because at some point that means you made it like, yeah. It used to be like sellout, Josie and the Pussycats are sellout. But then like the Black Keys are in every other commercial. As Black yes. Keys. And they're okay. They're still indie darlings. And they still have all the street cred, but it's like, I'm listening to the Black Keys at, at an Olive Garden commercial. But whereas 20 years ago, that was considered selling out. But what this movie is telling us is, oh, no, no, this is the future of music. Yeah. This is the future of all art. Yeah. You think... Because people, and again, I'm going to go super deep here. People love art, but they don't want to give it the money or time it deserves. Yeah, absolutely. So artists have to sell out. I want to write a jingle that gets 
me gazillions of dollars because then I can go do something else with my gazillions of dollars where it used. So this is making fun of it, but it's also acknowledging this is the way of the future. So I think it's, and is that good or bad? I mean, I don't know. We've talked about the differences between our country. I know Canada is actually really great at supporting the arts, like really, really like Canadian radio stations have to play a certain number of Canadian artists and like mm. they have tons of grants. Like one of my least favorite bands in the world, Nickelback only exists because of a Canadian grant. But while I hate Nickelback, I love that the Canadian government gave them money when they were starting out to be a band. Yeah. Like, you're going to bring joy to people and anger to some, but you're going to make art. So what is it like over there? Here, we don't do that. Here, we don't support the people like, let's cut the National Endowment for the Arts. You guys can't give money to a guy who's going to show pictures of two boys kissing. No money to you. And that's a real thing that happened to you. That does not <laughs> so surprise me at all. So I don't, so to me, this is the only way artists can survive is yeah. with product placement. Like you said, Beyonce's only Beyonce. I mean, she's a genius. She knows she and Jay-Z, they didn't become billionaires by being stupid. Oh yeah, absolutely. Totally yeah. And doing. they use those smarts to have weird Tiffany deals for that weird jewelry advert. And I'm like, fair enough. Like, what's up? You know, well yeah. done. Like, I'm not so going to, I'm not going to shit how, on that. Right. So how, but how is you, I mean, like, do you feel like over there are like, uh, art well, for art's sake is rewarded or not? I'll try and not go into political rant, but I would say very much we used to think art was hugely important. It was, you know, was loads of art grants. You, you would get people going to university to study the arts of all different types. Um, it was and is, however, quite... Uh, it's not particularly inclusive. So I mean, I'm sure you know that, that lots of uh, people of colour go to America for work. British mm -hmm. actors go to America for work because we're not that great at that over here. Um, but recently, more and more and more money towards the arts has been slashed. I mean, we're, we're really lucky in terms of there are initiatives around which lots of places put in themselves, like lots of theatres put in themselves. They'll do discounted tickets for people to go and see shows and things like that. But most of all, you know, it is for people like me, you know, white middle class people who have cash to spare um you know if I wanted to send my daughter to to art school or to drama school I could do it which is why we have so many upper crust white actors um and we were I would say as a country we were making really good headway in opening it up to people but in recent years under Tory leadership they don't see that as particularly important sure. because funny enough, those people don't line the pockets of their best mates. Um, I don't yeah. know why I'm trying to be very, uh, I'm I trying to not go too political. And this is my podcast and I can yeah. see I damn well, please. Um, so it's quite elitist. I think it didn't used to be. Well, I think it did and then got better and now it's a lot more elitist. But I think, you know, they're, you know, Ed Sheeran, right? He is one in a million. We don't allow for more than one Ed Sheeran here, um, all around the world. You know, he's successful everywhere. That's not fair, but I, you a know, fan. I'm not. I'm not embarrassed. I know people are like, if you say you like Ed Sheeran, you suck. Well, I suck. I really yeah. do. People say I that. Suck. Oh yeah, Who cares? absolutely. Yeah, I don't care. I think he's great. I, I'm a fan. I love singer songwriters like Jack Johnson, 
you know, Cheryl Crow, give me a dork and a guitar. That's my jam. <laughs> I want, you know what I mean? Like I saw Cheryl Crow. She's just a big dork. She's just up there. <laughs> she knows it too. She's just like, she loves that. I, my, every day I get to show up and sing to people and a guitar and a pair of jeans. Bless like, dumb. But I, I, yeah. I think we very much, I mean, there's a very British culture of we'd like to tear people down, which we've gotten a lot better at. We've, we've become quite reflective as a nation, which is lovely. But, you know, if Daniel Craig wants to sell a watch in Bond, that's fine. But if, you know, a young black actress stars in sort of like some amazing indie thriller um, and then advertises, I don't know, shower gel, like, oh my God, she's just here for the money. Why would she? You know, we saw that with the Spice Girls. We yeah. absolutely saw that with the Spice Girls. It doesn't matter that they were made by a man. Um, they made catchy hits and they went, do you know what? We want a bunch of money. We want to do these fun advertising deals. We are literally here to have an amazing time. And by going and doing a Pepsi campaign, we get to do a fun song and we get to jump out of screens and and wear clothes and and have fun and be girly. And we all just shat on it. And it's like, why? What's wrong? Like we, us Brits, we don't like that. We don't like people sort of like getting above their station, selling out. We're not great. Mm. <laughs> so so okay so it is so it's a worldwide commentary yeah, yeah. yeah that's it, that i just didn't know because i mean i see that i see that here and i see this you know and again because you can't get more americana than archie comics right yeah and so for it to be like for the josie and the pussycats movie to be a commentary on consumerism and banging on americanism is funny and it's yeah. subversive and it's smart oh it's and- so smart it's yeah. not trying to sell you those things. It's telling you it's stupid. Yeah, yeah, it's telling you not to buy any of these things. All these brands are madness. Don't get sucked into it. And it's yeah. doing that by showing all the brands in the world. And I think people yeah. just missed that. They just missed that whole point. It's sad. It makes it's frustrating, but I think it makes it smart. Um, you know, it's layered and it, it, I'm glad we're talking about it 20 years later. Um, <laughs> Because no, because it, it's important. And I know the other movies you're going to do. And I know Steve Conray from our Aussie Steve, he wants to talk about the Spice Girls. Yes. So he wants to talk about Spice I'm World. So I think- Very excited about that. That'll be good. Because there is a Spice Girls, they're in the background here. When you're going through the Parker Posey, the people that she's ruined, yeah. she ruined the Spice Girls. So yeah. you're like, damn you, Fiona. <laughs> I love her. Right. We can't talk about everything because we'll be here yeah. for like three more hours. So there's one thing I do want, to talk about which I think you are going to be the lead on which is the music because I Mm -hmm. think the music's fantastic I think it's incredibly catchy um but I am not a music person so I'm sure you have many thoughts on the music from the film I do I love this soundtrack so I am I'm on record of of saying like here's the thing about there's lots of things to hate about COVID one of them is that it killed Adam Schlesinger and um and that was really sad for me um, even my, one of my daughters, when she heard about it before I did, she sent me the message. She's like, oh no, did you hear about Adam? So I knew he was sick. Um, it was really hard because I love them. Fountains of Wayne, that band is very important to me. Like mm-hmm. just, I love every song that they do. They're catchy, silly pop songs, but there's also very layered. And then he wrote that thing you do. He wrote, um, he was in several other bands. Um, uh, you know, and he just writes songs. He's like a fucking hit factory. And he, so he's the producer and he wrote Pretend to Be Nice. And then Adam Duritz from Counting Crows wrote Three Small Words. And so, but Adam Schlesinger produces this album. And so he is like, I like power pop. I think power pop is delightful. 
Um, I love punk music and power pop just is like, let's, what if we could do that, but with a good singer? That's all power pop is. It's punk <laughs> with somebody who can sing, right? I love punk because I love the Ramones. Joey Ramone cannot sing. He is terrible, but I love that band. Love them. Listen to them all the time. So, so this music is infectious. It's catchy. There was, he was the right person to write the soundtrack. And as we've said, he wrote, the, he, he was one of the three songwriters and the musical director for Crazy Ex-Girlfriend. So they were writing four songs a week, original songs about whatever the show is. The script was written and they're like, we need a song this. Like I actually saw a scene where Rachel and Alina, the, the producers and the star were saying, we need a song about uh, shouldn't have sex. And so Adam and what uh, Jack Dolgen walked away and came back 10 minutes later with, we definitely should not have sex right now. That song, <laughs> like they wrote that in like 10 minutes. And that's, and that's just like so brilliant. And so, so he's the perfect person for this. If you do not, even if you hate this movie, I, I defy you to dislike the Joseph and the Pussycat soundtrack. Plus the two du jour songs are on here. And, and look, those songs are brilliant. Nobody so rocks it like, like, quite like du jour. And then of course, Backdoor Lover. So if you don't own the soundtrack, go spend 10 bucks. I know if you're a Spotify person, but listen, if you buy it, Adam Schlesinger's kids get some money. So go buy it. And I love it. I listen to it. It's on my, I'm old and I even have an MP3 player and I listen to it all the time walking around the house. I, I listen to the entire album at least once a week. Sorry. It's amazing. I love it so much. It's perfect. <laughs> he is the perfect songwriter, perfect producer. The, 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 the singer, um, I think what she was in Veruca Salt, right? The band yes. Veruca Salt. Yeah. So she's the perfect voice for, for Josie. It's just, it, like you said, it's a time capsule. So she's the right voice. Cause right at the end of the nineties, Veruca Salt were, were there. So she, she has that growly voice. It's, and they, they were great. They really looked like they were playing. Yeah, Tara they Reed, look amazing. Yeah. One thing I'll say about Terry Reed, she looks like she's playing the drums. You've yeah. we've all seen bad drummers, bad fake drummers. She looked like she knew what she was doing. Sorry. No, no, this is, that's, that's what I wanted. That's exactly Uh, what I wanted because I didn't have much to add. You know, the only thing I have to add is again, I think the music's genius in terms of the tone of the film. So the du jour songs, uh you know, they are parody. They're great parody, but they are still parody. Yet the Josie songs are taken seriously and they're, they're actual good songs and hits. And Sure, they fit into the narrative, you know, there's some of those nods, which I guess is where you get some of the sort of musical um, genre from. But actually, they can be listened to much like you do outside of the film. They are just like a film soundtrack. It's not, you know, it's not dumbed down. It's we are going to make good music for this film. And the covers, they do two covers, Wild yes, Child they do, yeah. and Money. I'm like, yeah. And then the soundtrack, it's like, this song's for all you shoppers out there. And, then, <laughs> and that's actually Rachel Lee Cook's voice. And then you hear Tara Reid's voice on the soundtrack doing the count-in sometime. Mm. The, um, so, so they actually use the actors a little bit on there. But uh, man, I love it. It's such a great soundtrack. And it, is, it will, if you need a pick-me-up, and it's like 37 minutes, it's tight. It's, it is tight as a drum. There's, there's one song that's the ballad. So if you're like, all right, I'll skip the ballad. It's good too, but you know, you're not always in the mood for the ballad, but of course there has to be one. Of course. I mean, there is love, a love story in there, but the real love story. And the last thing I want to talk about are the pussycats themselves and the three main stars who I just think 
perfectly cast the chemistry is unbelievable between them like I am convinced they were friends you know and I and I love that the film doesn't lean into what we talked about when we were talking about the comic book which is bitchiness there's no bitchiness between them um which is so easily done we see it all the time you know we see women pitted against each other all the time it's in all of our media we're always fighting about something and as you'll know from my rant um I I just believe that's the patriarchy trying to screw us over um and I love that they don't do that in this film you know when Val feels like Josie's moving away from the group and you know it doesn't matter that Josie's being brainwashed they are valid feelings I mean you know at the end they do that whole sort of like Scooby-Doo oh we're still friends again you know but the the way they communicate that and the way they communicate with each other and at the end you know when they're all apologizing to each other that's genuine and that feels real and I think that is something again we don't often see and that's why it annoys me so reason I want to talk about is that I want to talk about that review that said boring characters boring actresses boring characters because if you see you see that friendship and you see that interaction between the stars and it is three stars you know, I know Rachel Lee Cook is Josie, but it's not. I, you know, she gets slightly more screen time because it's Josie and the Pussycats. But actually, all three are given time to be those characters. And by saying they're they're boring characters, they're they're boring actresses, you're completely discounting what they bring to that central trio. Word. I, all I can say is word, <laughs> word to you. No, I agree totally. Again, I think Tara Reid is a terrible actor, but I think she is perfectly cast for this because of who Melody is. And again, I think playing dumb is hard. I'm sure I've seen Parker Posey play dumb. So I know what that looks like when mm. it's done correctly. She was too old, unfortunately, to play Melody, you know, since she was, so she's great as Fiona. I mean, there's, you know, it just, you needed somebody who was 24 and, you know, Parker Posey was probably 34 when they made this movie. And, you know, they do that to women all the time. They'll have a 34 year old play an 18 year old, which is gross, yeah. but they chose to not do that. So I appreciate, I appreciate that. <laughs> um, uh, but I think, I think there's, um, I, I, I think their charisma is great. And th- there's the scene on the plane when they're making their pack, the friends before, you know, chicks before Dick's scene, they, um, when she sits down on Rosario's Dawson's lap, I'm not sure if that was intentional, if that was the director, if she was saying like, we need you all in this shot, we need you to have Alan coming behind you. So we're going to shoot it this way. But that seems like a thing friends would do. Mm-hmm. And and they were really, like you said, they, they it was those two in particular. And I think we talked about with the comic, Val's the glue anyway in the, yeah. in the trio. And so you put the best actor as Val because she, she can hold everything together. So those moments when she is by herself and she's the one who has to go through the emotional, because Melody doesn't have an emotional, like Val's the one who's left out. This movie actually comments on her being a person yeah. of color where the comic doesn't. And so again, you give that to a capable actor who you know only for whatever bullshit political reasons doesn't have a fucking wall of awards she's always good and she chooses to do genre stuff right she's i think she's in this new show called dope sick uh it's her and michael keaton i think that she's like all right fuck it i want an emmy i'm gonna do this show (laughs) you guys are gonna give me a goddamn emmy for this and like you know um but i think so I, i think that you're right that the performances are great and and i think the linchpin is is Rosario Dawson. Yeah. If, if, if somebody, and I'm sure if you think about the time frame, 2000, 2001, is there a different actress of color who 
could have pulled off Val. Sure, absolutely. But her charm and her million dollar smile and her and her physical presence mm-hmm. as Val, as being so much taller than them and being a, a big, powerful looking woman um, is also important. So I think it was like just optically the right casting choice, but it's also like, oh, we can get Rosario Dawson in our movie. And they're like, you should do that. <laughs> you should probably do that. If you can get Rosario Dawson in your movie, duh. Um, so I just think it was, I agree. I couldn't, even though I don't like Sarah Reed, and again, probably better act definitely better actors than her it worked it worked mm. and i think because the three of them together because i think again i think terry's probably fun and yeah. so so their chemistry is real and you see it when you see movies you can tell you people hate each other or it's a movie any movie from the last 25 years with bruce willis you can you see what sleepwalking looks like this is not it these are people who they took this seriously everybody was in everybody wanted this movie to be a hit i mean seth green and breckenmeyer you know, showing up as part of Dejour and uh, oh, fuck, why can't I think of his name? The guy from uh, Scrubs. Oh, his name's Donald Faison. Yeah, yeah. Again, what you got the three of them. I mean, Scrubs was a hit. At this, like mm. you get the three of them to show up for these because they're not in it at the end in the cast. It's, you know, they could only get it. We got you for a day, but they all wanted to do it because they're like, yes, we want to be part of something that we know is going to be smart, funny. Alan Cumming is a fucking Tony Award winning uh-huh. actor. And he's so good in this, you know? And so it's like, to me, the casting is great. Uh, Missy Pyle, who plays Alexander, she's always funny. Uh, I will watch Missy Pyle in anything. And so to me, I really think even the guy who played Alan, he's fine. I mean, he he knew what he was doing. And so that's, again, to ask like a handsome white guy to be like, I'm going to be ninth billing. And he shows up for it. And he, you needed somebody who could act because he had to look disappointed. You know, you couldn't just be like, Handsome guy from the street. You know, they didn't have Carson Daly play that role because even <laughs> as Carson Daly, he was bad. Um, so yeah, I thought it was delightful. I think that the casting was special and it made it made for even a better experience. Yes, that's what I liked here. And I and I think this is a nice place to end it because I think seeing those three women together, both the actresses and the characters, I think is so inspiring for girls and young women. Because I, I think it's something we rarely see in film. And seeing them being together, supporting each other, coming back together at the end, like e- even their falling out isn't because one of them's bad, it's because Josie's literally brainwashed. You know, it's not because nothing can come in between their friendship apart from being brainwashed. And right. by working together, they they are still successful. Everybody who watches them when they're not brainwashed thinks they're amazing. And I think what an amazing message for girls and young women that, you know, I guess it's like, you know, what is the happily ever after? It's getting the prince. Well, the prince doesn't matter in this film. The happily ever after is is being with your mates and having an amazing time and, and just doing what you want to do. And I mean, that's what life should fucking be. I, I wish I was more poetic at the end, but that's what Mic life drop. should fucking be. That's amazing. <laughs> So any final thoughts? No, I do want to just point out um, this director didn't make another film after this for 15 years. Now she wrote a bunch of films, but she didn't direct again for 15 years. And it's like, come on, seriously? That's maybe it's in choice, but I find that hard to believe. And then yes, she's co-director. She did Can't Hardly Wait. So that was a huge hit. And so she got this film off the back of that. That's why Rachel Lee Cook is in it, obviously. 
but it's like, okay, so you have a huge hit and then you have a movie that, so it's like, that's it. You're done for 15 years. And maybe she felt butthurt and she was like, you guys didn't so get my movie. She, so I read an interview and she basically said, so it's Deborah Kaplan, isn't it? And she yeah, said um, that basically because it was such a failure, it just took her out of the, took her out of the film industry. Um, oh, and I, that's and, why yeah. she just wrote movies. And yeah. Then, oh, okay. And I wrote- don't know if that's like, because it was like, this is all so brutal and I can't handle it or, you know, people won't hire me to direct or a mixture of, of the two. But, you know, I think that's really compelling that they've poured themselves into this film and the reaction to it has just made, made her go, I can't, can't do this anymore. And I think that speaks to pretty much every single woman I know. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's sad. So that made me sad to see. I mean, I, again, I think it's, it is not perfect. I mean, we've been singing its praises because we we had a great time with it. But I mean, I understand it's flawed. Like I said, I mean, I've probably seen, I've definitely seen more Tara Reid films than I've seen Rachel Lee Cook films. <laughs> I've seen all the Sharknados. But again, um, I like those too. You know what I mean? Like I know they're bad, but I, it doesn't mean I can't enjoy it. And yeah. it's like you said, it's like the idea that, well, I like serious films, so I can't like Josie and the Pussycats. Well, I think what we proved is that you can do both. This is a serious film. There is a comedies can have something to say. And I think we need to get over ourselves. And again, I know you like the Oscars and trust me, I I watch award shows too. But my problem is, is the last time somebody won an award for a comedy was like Kevin Klein for A Fish Called Wanda. And you're telling me that like, comedy is way harder. What John John Heater did for um, Napoleon Dynamite was one of the finest performances of, of physical and emotional deadpan comedy that we've ever seen but because it was his first movie nobody knew what it was and like we don't give awards for comedies and it's really annoying because there's i mean there's some amazing comedic performances and so but because comedy is comedy so we don't take it seriously and you're like well fuck right off that's harder to do anybody can act sullen i mean hayden christensen again opposite kevin klein and <laughs> life is a house was amazing but all he was doing was playing a grumpy teenager yeah everybody can play a grumpy teenager you know, so comedy's hard. And I think these women pull it off and uh, uh, just in spades. And I just think it's great. So it's, it's a, I think this is, I think what we've done is proven that this is silly, but it is, it has a message and it needs a second, second watch or first yeah. watch for some people who are like, all right, see the fucking Josie and the Biscuits, get over yourself and give it a try. <laughs> I love it. Just get over yourself. Just give it a try. Come on. Stop reading the shitty reviews. Just give it a go. Yeah. Our also, friend Tanya Todd doesn't read reviews or watch trailers. I mean, what a good thing to do. I know. I started watching less trailers. Let's not talk about that. Cause okay, sorry. Let's wrap it up. Because <laughs> I was like, this is just going to be me talking for another 15 minutes. I'd listen. <laughs> Thank you. Um, yeah, I've, I've got nothing to say on top of that. I said that and then I'm about to do a classic career and go, well, I do. Um, which is just that, you know, I think this isn't a perfect film, as we've discussed, but there is a lot of merit in it. And I do think it's, you know, my, my, I guess, rating of it is it's definitely unfairly maligned. That doesn't mean it's the best film that's ever been there, that's ever been made. And I think that it shows why it's important that we talk about films about women for women. Agreed. Witness. <laughs> right. So let's do the classic. Where can everybody find you, Tony? 
Sure. Well, I'm on this very network. And so this is Sunday when you're listening to this. So yes. a few days ago, you've heard us talking because I'm the co-host. I'm the host of Indie Comics Spotlight and you are now a permanent monthly co-host as is your brother. And then of course I do season's greetings with Jack as well. And the pop gorillas are out there striking. Um, so just, if you want to know, uh, go just go to Twitter, Tricycle Boombox, that's me. Or you can, if you're like, I hate Twitter. I get that. I some days don't even log in. I get it. And I, that's the only place I promote myself. So you can just go to my website, arfarina.com. Or if you're really old, www.arfarina.com. And you can find my stuff there and links to the Comics in Motion stuff. So you can get me there. So subscribe to Comics in Motion. Welcome. I mean, you've been on the family, but now welcome. Thank you for having your own show. This is very Thank exciting. You. This is your own venture on Comics in Motion. I'm proud to be your first guest. Yay! And I'm hoping for so many more and so many more interesting conversations. I'm really looking forward to people introducing me to films that I've not seen that they think fits into the criteria of femme on film. Um, And also, you know, challenging some of my own uh, preconceptions because I spent a lot of my 20s going, oh, I'm not going to watch that film. It's fluffy, it's comedy, it's romance. I like good films. I like serious films. So I'm very much here to challenge myself as well. I've I've given myself an easy ride with Josie and the Pussycats, and uh, and hopefully with when Tonya comes on next, we're going to do if I can arrange it, Grease too. And I think I've, you know, I'm just going to get her to talk at me about it. So I've given myself an easy ride for the second film, um, but we'll see how it goes on from there. I think there's many of my own preconceptions I'm going to have to put to the door. She'll be very interesting. I'm very, I'm always up for doing that. Um, teach myself a few lessons. So yes, anyway, that's me just rambling again. So you can find me here at Film on Film uh, with Comics in Motion and on Twitter at Rhea Carrigan, R-I-A-C-A-R-R-O-G-A-N. Maybe at some point I won't have to spell that out, but that seems unlikely. Um, so yeah, just come and say hi. If you're interested in talking about any female-led female audience films come and let me know slide into my dms and we'll have a little chat (laughs) but i've got hopefully some amazing guests coming up and some amazing films and i'm going to try and be really strict and organize it all and just start banging out content so that's it thank you everyone thank you so much tony it's been so much fun thank you i've enjoyed it immensely (laughs) bye now right bye